Well, welcome to Fidelity Soundbites, a straight-to-the-point monthly podcast where you will learn from some of Australia's leading portfolio managers on what's happening in markets, how they're positioning their portfolios, and the outlook going forward. I'm your host, Andrew Dowling, and in this episode, we have Paul Taylor back to reflect on markets and the outlook. Paul, welcome, and great to have you back again. Andrew, thank you. Good to be back. Now, Paul, um, given the last 18 months, arguably, you know, equities probably shouldn't have performed as well as they have. You've got risks continuing to enter the market in different shapes and forms, and it's really fi- hard to find anyone uh, with something positive to say, yet markets you know, in one shape or form continue to go up. Talk us through that. Why is, why is that happening? Yeah, Andrew, very interesting. Actually, in market parlance, you'd say that's the market is climbing the wall of worry. Now, that's actually quite a positive sign, which is <laughs> seems unusual, but it is when you keep having new risks enter and, and a range of issues and the market keeps going up, um, it's actually just telling you there's a lot of money sitting on the sideline that's entering on the back of bad news, which is, which is a pretty positive sign. When I think about it, there really has been a lot of risk into the market, you know, whether it's interest rate risk or inflation risk or geopolitical risk. Um, recession risk, regulation, uh, taxation, there's a lot more, there's definitely a lot more to worry about. Um, and in that environment, and, and just even with just the higher risk-free rate, I mean, that's, it's just a better time to be thinking about an investment. When, it, when it's all there in the market, typically that reflects a better longer term expected return if i can if i can put it that way but uh, yeah look i think it's just it's the mark we're, we're climbing the wall of worry that looks a lot better you've even got things like another sort of positive signal is um, we're seeing a lot more m and a mergers and acquisitions in the market at the moment and that that's also you know corporates tend to be much longer term their views are much longer term they're not looking at buying a business this year and selling a business next year you know, they're buying one now to, to hopefully hang on forever. So they're just really looking at, well, what's a good long-term entry point? So, um, yeah, I think that, that M&A has really stepped up. And I think that's also probably also reflects corporates seeing better long-term in investment opportunities in the market right now. Now, so with uh, risk comes opportunity, and um, to your point on the M&A, what's, what's impacting you on, on that front? You know, what? Uh, companies that you own? Yeah, Andrew, it's actually interesting. So right at, right at the moment, I've got there's three stocks in the portfolio that are currently under takeover bid. Now, that's a bit, that you know, that is a bit unusual for me. So you look at uh, when we've had one that's been there for a while. So uh, uh, Brookfield is leading consortium uh, that's bidding for Origin Energy, and that's uh, getting closer and closer to, um, you know, to completion, you know, as we sit here today. Uh, that's one. We've got Wes Farmers that's bidding for Silk Laser, and that's also interesting. Silk Laser is a smaller cap stock. It's been quite volatile, uh, but Wes Farmers made a um, quite a large premium in a takeover bid, just saying, well, this is reflecting good long-term value um, for Silk Laser. And then we've also had Kirin, a, um, a Japanese uh, a beer and, I guess, consumer goods, food business that's come and made a bid for Blackmore's. So it's, you know, that is quite, have three is quite unusual, but like I said before, it sort of reflects probably they're, they're representing great long-term yeah, value. Yeah. And just for the Silk Laser um, business, what's, um, 
uh, talk us through that that company, what its uh, value proposition is. Yeah, well, Andrew, you probably will know Silk Laser much better than me because it's, um, it's it's sort of beauty care. So it's a hair removal. It's also injectables, that sort of business. And that business has been growing very rapidly. But it's um, it, it has been a very strong growth. Uh, Wes Farmers bought API, which is a chemist, but they had on the side of that chemist was was another um, sort of business like Silk Laser, and they were just trying to work out to ha- how to you know there was a bit of an issue for them. They hadn't it, it wasn't really in a good spot. So Wes Farmers either I think had to sell that business or get bigger or, or you know try and solve their problem. So they've obviously gone the, the second route, which is looking at Silk Laser. It's, a, it's actually Silk Laser is actually a well-run business, good, uh, well-positioned. Um, you know, good management team. So West Farmers are probably looking at it to get the management team that actually can help them turn around their own business. Yeah, a different form of renovating to the, the Bunnings business that they also own, I gather. Definitely, definitely. But actually you can see now West Farmers is on a bit of an acquisition um, route as well. So they, uh, West Farmers have now completely sold out of Coles. They, they went through that process, sold out of Coles. So they've got a lot of cash and you can see that they're, you know, West Farmers have been bidding for resource companies, um, uh, and now also in, in that sort of beauty care space as well, but they're looking—they're just looking for good, long, high-returning business, good long-term growth businesses, high-returning businesses. And I think we'll see more of that sort of corporate M and A going forward as well. And Paul um, Blackmore's the uh, well-known Australian vitamin business being acquired by a Japanese company Kirin. Can you talk us through that uh, that that acquisition? Uh, it's actually interesting. Kirin has been—you know—it's actually been active in the Australian market for quite a while. In fact. They bought um, actually fairly early on, you know, with the Australia Fund. They bought Lion Nathan, which was a you know beer company here in Australia, and we actually owned Lion Nathan at the time. So they, they you know, that was an earlier takeover. So Kieran has been good to us uh, a couple of different times, but they obviously like Australian businesses. I mean, Australian businesses, ha- you know, they they're high quality, good management teams, good cash flow, just well run businesses. And I think they're looking at Blackmores in the same way. So Blackmores, as you said. It's a vitamin company. Vitamins have been a structural growth area, and it's been a you know it's been a growing area. So, Kieran, I'm sure you know similar to Lion Nathan, really likes the the good structural growth, the, the strong cash flow coming out of uh, Blackmores, and is looking at Blackmores as a long term investment. Yeah, and I suppose for a beer company, um, the acquisition of Blackmores gives them a, an additional source of vitamin B in one shape or form, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, well done. And Paul, um, the RBA put up rates by 25 basis points from 36 to 3.85%. Does that change your view on recessionary risk or, or opportunities across the market? Look, I think you know growth in ex- Australia is, will really come down in 2023. It will be a weaker uh, growth year. I, we would still be of the view that that's, it's not going to take us into recession in Australia, but it, that's certainly not guaranteed. And um, I think the RBA in taking up rates another 25 basis points, you know, is really just following the data. So yeah. inflation has come down, and we're and we're on the we're, we're, it's good. It's a good trajectory, sure. but it's still too high. And they're really just trying to work for the long term and and get inflation down. So they'll they'll just they'll keep going as per the data. Now, so there still is a risk that you know rates could go up more. That um, you know now that a recession becomes more of a viable option. But I mean, our view at the moment is that probably the US and Europe go into recession, uh, but Australia still stays out of recession. I think it's actually you know we, we we've got counterpoints. You know, our population is growing quite strongly. We we've reopened to immigration. 
um, that, that, that's a real, you know, that's a really positive impact on markets and the economy. And I think our ties to Asia will help us sort of avoid recession as well. So at the moment, even though rates have just gone up another 25 basis points, our view would be no recession in Australia, but we've we got to see how things go. And while inflation is coming down, we still think there's probably a couple of reasons they might remain a little bit higher, you know, a bit more structural, you know, um, they'll, be, they'll be a little bit higher for structural reasons. And those two structural reasons, one is decarbonisation. So as we go through the decarbonisation process, that does add costs to the system. And that's a multi-decade. That's a long time. That's a long time. So that's going to stay high, you know, a little bit higher for a little bit longer. Um, and the other thing is just sort of logistics and supply chain and, and I guess deglobalization. So, you know, there's a policy now, a lot of companies go by this one called China Plus One, which is previously you had your factory in China. Um, now through COVID and through deglobalization disruptions, Basically, people said, well, actually, we need another factory somewhere else. So we'll have China plus one other. Maybe we'll have that factory in Australia or we'll have that factory in Vietnam or, um, you know, wherever they decide, basically to help with logistics. But the issue is that is also, you know, that adds costs into the system. That builds redundancy, which is good from a, a guaranteeing supply, but it does increase your costs and is has it the deglobalization ha- does ha- also have an element of inflation built in as well. So you've got a couple of structural drivers now, um, you know, where in- inflation has come down from like eight to closer to seven, which is better, but that's still too high. So the target is 2%. Now, you know, maybe we don't get back to two, but if we get to three or four, I think the really interesting question will be, well, is that low enough for the RBA or other central banks around the world to stop raising interest rates. And I think, you know, that little bit of um, flexibility, that might be okay. If we can get back closer to three, four, um, you know, maybe that's low enough, which is still maybe a little bit of structural increase in inflation, but much more manageable levels. Mm. And so um, taking into account the current environment and, you know, the never-ending noise in markets, um, what what stocks, uh, what areas, what sectors do you like at the moment? What's what do you expect to continue doing well? So what really works in this sort of environment, one is consumer staples. Now those sort of, you know, everybody needs their food. Um, everybody needs their, you know, the drink or the essentials, the toiletries or whatever it is. That Even if there's a bit of inflation there, you have to have that. You know, same for health. You, 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 there's nothing you can do about it. If you've got to go to the hospital, you've got to go to the hospital. Um, so people will pay that inflation. And as you pointed out earlier, silk laser is probably an essential for me. So I gather I'll be keeping that up. Well, it's an interesting one. And actually that's, uh, you know, I'll, one of the reasons it was quite volatile was people weren't, wasn't, weren't sure whether it was, how discretionary it was. And I think through time it has actually proved, exactly to your point, it's proved maybe a little bit more essential than discretionary. And I think that'll be interesting as well. Like, you know, you also can ask that question about telecommunication, you know, like your mobile phone. It's no longer discretionary. That is essential. Um, so maybe what is what is essential and what's discretionary has changed a little bit a little bit through time. But I think what really is discretionary is you know a new fridge or a new lounge uh, or a new car. You can delay even if you still need to do it. You can delay it a year. So rather than buying a fridge this year, you buy it next year. The other thing that really works well is um, self help stories. So, comp- you know, like if you just if you you just go up and down based on market conditions, you're in for a you know you're in a, in a weaker growth year. You're in for a tough year. 
But if there's something you can do about it, there's something you can restructure in your own business and and just improve your position, um, you know, you're obviously going to do much better. Yeah, and property? Property tends not to do as well um, because you got higher interest rates. So, so how do you own, how do you navigate that in terms of what you own and what what companies? Yeah, so within the property sector, I tend to look at sort of we look for structural growth. So, as a great example, uh, one of the positions we own is Goodman Group. Now, Goodman Group's an industrial property company. Now, that has strong long term structural trends. So, what's been happening? Um, you know, e commerce has been a big driver. And basically, for a lot of businesses, that e-commerce is becoming a bigger and bigger part of it. Now, you don't necessarily always need a, you know, a shop front. Um, you can basically work out of a shed, and that's what um, industrial property provides you. So you're working out of a shed; it's much cheaper, and you're just sending it out, you know, via e-commerce. And for established properties, you know, the replacement cost is just going up and up, and that's not going to change by the looks of things. That that I suppose gathers provides some sort of premium for you know, existing. Look, there's a few there's a few offsetting factors, but I think the really interesting one. So what um, what we hear from a lot of retailers, as a, to give an example, right? So um, a lot of the um, rents that are in retail contracts are each year it goes up by CPI. So CPI is at seven percent. So these discretionary retailers, I'm talking about, is going to have a very tough time because of higher interest rates. Their rent is going up seven to ten percent a year. Now, they're, they're, that's a huge squeeze and something's got to give. And the thing that's also there is uh, what, what, when you value a property company, it, it's valued basically on a, a capitalization rate. So typically, as interest rates go down, uh, you, you know, the cap, what's called the cap rate, a capitalization rate, you know, might have got down to 4%. Now, as interest rates go back up, it's probably going to go back up to 6 7%. The higher the interest, like a bond, the higher the interest rate, the lower the value. So we'll see capitalization rates go up. They tend to be very slow to go up, but they do go up. And you'll also see much greater pressure on rents. And office space is going to be in a similar position, right? So people are, um, you know, they need less and less space, a bit more work from home. Now, people are coming back into the office, but they don't, they're still not coming back 100% into the office. So they need, and you know, you need less off. And, but once again, that takes time to uh, unravel. Um, so office the same, but but industrial is probably better protected in that it's cheaper. People can typically work out of a shed. Like I said, they can move to e-commerce if they don't want to have the shop front. They can they can move to e-commerce, which is actually proving itself uh, much more f- successfully for you know for a range of different businesses as well. And yeah, it's just it's a better business model. The other thing we really like with industrial properties, Goodman's a global leader. So we're always looking for like the best in class quality businesses that are going to deliver in a much in the in the best uh, property sector. Excellent. Well, we'll leave it from there today. Thanks, Paul. Always appreciate your time and uh, insights and observations on where we're at and where we're heading. We'd also love to hear from you uh, if you'd like to send through any of your questions to Paul to answer. Send it through to podcast australia at fil.com. And uh, thank you and bye for now. Andrew, thank you. Good to talk to you. Some important information on today's podcast. This podcast is issued by Phil Responsible Entity Australia Limited, AFSL number 409340. This podcast is intended as general information only and has been prepared without taking into account any person's objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider the product disclosure statement and target market determinations for Fidelity Australia products at fidelity.com.au. 
please click the link in the show's description to read the full disclaimer.